Good morning. Welcome to Refuge. Um, if you're here for the first time, make sure you grab one of the cards that are in the pockets of the seat in front of you. Fill it out. Let us know you're here, how it is that we can serve you. Also, on the other side of that card is a place to jot down um, any prayer needs that you have. Um, just a quick reminder and encouraging you to um, make use of that and uh, turn it in. We'd love to partner up with you and uh, lift some of these things up to the Lord. Uh, James 5.16 says that the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I certainly believe God's word to be what it is. And so I know that we together collectively um, can uh, have the ear of the Lord. And, uh, and just he, he desires to hear those prayers uh, in communion with him and having fellowship with him in prayer. And so um, he's there with us when we do that. So. I encourage you to do that. A few announcements before we get into the message. By the way, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. First of all, um, for girls of any age, we have a crochet class. And, oh, it's crochet? Oh, oh. I knew that. I'm glad you guys caught that. Yeah. Boy, it was like, it's crochet. <laughs> Say, then it's Target also, <laughs> right? And so we go to Target, and it's that little French store that's, right. Okay, so crochet. All right, so there's a crochet class today after service. Um, girls of all ages, and I do mean all ages, um, can come and participate and enjoy that. So that's today after service. Uh, we also have um, a need in the children's ministry. Uh, what's awesome is that we have a need in the children's ministry because it's, it keeps growing. And uh, we have a bunch of kids in there, and so we need two ladies for the nursery. Um, so please, if the Lord so moves in your heart, and I hope he does, um, you can see Stephen or Darcy afterward, um, and, uh, and they can give you a little insight as far as that is concerned. Uh, and it, it doesn't involve every Sunday. Um, we like to make it a point to where... Uh, you serve once a month, um, if that, in a rotation. That way, um, you know, you don't spend all your time in there. You're also in here um, receiving God's word together. So <clears throat> we have a need for that children's ministry. We also have a women's prayer coming up this Thursday, the 23rd, and that's at 7 p.m. That's at the Montana home. So um, my wife, Bettina, right there, um, she's hosting that, right? Yeah, I said the 23rd, no? Yeah, twenty third, seven p.m. Oh, don't 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 pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. I have all the right information right here. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's true. Sometimes, yeah. So it's the twenty third, seven p.m. at the Montana home. Um, <laughs> that's that's when it's happening. Yeah, good. All right. And then we have so. Um, we have this trip com- coming up in May, and I'm really excited about it. Um, we're taking a, a, a group of people out to Haiti, and it's a missions trip. Um, so for that, what we're having is a spaghetti fundraising dinner, and that is on March 10th, 6.30 p.m. It's going to be here. We are going to be selling tickets for that, and um, there's no like suggested amount that you um, can give. It's just as the Lord lays on your heart, um, it's just per donation uh, 
for those tickets. So we encourage you. We can give them out. You can also take them out and sell them to other people. Um, we'd love to pack the place out here and have a great spaghetti dinner. It's really simple. Um, we're not having filet mignon or anything like that, and that's not the point really. Um, right? So we all come together, and when we get a little something at the same time, fellowship and, and, uh, and pray for the whole trip and the group that's going out there, the team. So that's what's happening on the 10th of March. Um, by the way, continue to pray for the, that missions trip. Uh, it's something that the Lord um, is putting together, and uh, we're really going to have um, just a, a joyful time of serving him in Haiti with House Tops for Haiti. That is the, um, uh, the ministry that we're going to uh, be working with and through. We also have a music workshop that is, uh, we're covering drums, and that's next Sunday at 1230. So after service, Rick Chambers is going to be leading that. And um, so for those of you who would like to, you know, you grew up uh, banging on some pots and pans and you think that you got a little rhythm there, come on out. And, uh, and Rick will give you, a, a, you know, some instruction as far as the drums are concerned. And it's all, by the way, to glorify the Lord, to honor him at some point leading you into a place to where you can serve him with these gifts that uh, he's gifted you with. All right, so that's why we're doing these things. It's all to, to serve the Lord. We also have this evening a night of worship. It's at 7 p.m., and so I encourage you to take the time, set it aside, and come on out. We're going to be spending some time just in, in praising and worshiping the Lord, and um, so I encourage you to come out for that. That's tonight at 7 p.m. here at Refuge. All right, <clears throat> with that, um, we... Um, are in, like I said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the title of this morning's message is Boisterous Generosity. Boisterous Generosity. Um, now, boisterous, I want to make very clear. It, it's not um, an annoying, overwhelming, loud type of generosity because that's not what God has called us to. This is more of a, um, a, a, of a humble and yet overflowing and joyful generosity that should really be bubbling out of the Christian. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning. Uh, In the previous chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul pointed to the generosity of the Macedonians that were north uh, in the Greek peninsula, north of the Corinthians. Uh, Achaia is to the south, and then Macedonia is to the north. Uh, the north now, what we understand the Macedonians to be experiencing is extreme poverty. Not just kind of like some financial issues, uh, economic downturn, but it was extreme poverty that they were experiencing. And yet the Macedonian believers, as we learned last time, overflowed in a wealth of generosity and po- possessed an abundance of joy. That is wonderful. It's One of the things that we learned is, how is it that they had an abundance of joy and overflowed in a wealth of generosity when they were experiencing extreme poverty? And the reason why that we discovered they could have an abundance of joy and overflow in a wealth of generosity is because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to Paul and the need of the saints in Jerusalem. You see, it's very easy when we sincerely and genuinely and wholly devote ourselves to the Lord, and we, to a certain respect, that song that was being played a a couple songs back, 
um, to where it, it's like we're, we're so taken by the Lord and so submitted to him that whatever it is that he brings across to us in his word, that we just, as we, as we get to know him that much better, we, we just fall that much more in love with him. We see his character and we submit to that. And hopefully we reflect, we, we reflect that in our own lives. That's what was happening with the Macedonian believers. As they submitted themselves first to the Lord, and by the will of God, as they learned that this was the will of God, they submitted themselves. Hey, listen, we give ourselves to Paul and to Titus and to that famous preacher and, and to those that God has placed there for us as gifts to the church to continue in his will. And it's all beautiful. They willingly dedicated themselves first to the service of God, and because of that, were willingly dedicating themselves to serve Paul and the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. Matthew 24, uh, 25, 40 says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, much of the time, it is in serving others that we find ourselves serving the Lord. And what joy it is when we truly, genuinely, openly, willingly serve others. And we understand in serving others, we're serving the Lord. In John fifteen thirteen, the Lord says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that's the ultimate show demonstration of love, right? That you are willing to lay down your life for the sake of someone else. John thirteen thirty five. The Lord said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And it's that agape love. It's that self-sacrificing type of love, the, the, the way that you esteem others more than you esteem yourself, placing others above yourself. Philippians 2.3, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then, and then in 1 John 3.17 John writes, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's, those are pretty strong words because he's saying, hey, listen, our love should be demonstrated or revealed in practical, everyday needs of one another. If you fail to do that, if you pull back from doing that, then how is it that the love of God abides in you? And what he's saying is it, do, it doesn't. It doesn't, at least you're not demonstrating it. So I see that biblically speaking, as we continue on through this chapter, financial generosity is, is an extension of the overall personal generosity that we should be exhibiting as Christians. Even the story of the widow with the two small copper coins in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, speaks to this. These two small copper coins, today we could point to the very thing that you probably have walked by many times. That is a penny. And yet, she took that penny, and then Jesus took that as a lesson for his disciples of a woman giving with great generosity. It was a lesson. It was a good display of a genuine worshiper's heart. So now we come to... Chapter 9 here, as the Apostle Paul has already pointed to the Macedonians and their generosity, how that should serve the Corinthians as an example of generosity. 
And the now at the very beginning, if you're reading the ESV or the New King James Version, um, it starts out with the word now, which is very appropriate. It, it means for to begin with, or in other areas of the Bible, uh, there's a word that's, uh, that's placed there, therefore, which connects the previous with what's coming after that word. It connects the two. Paul had used the Macedonian believers to serve, again, as an example to the Corinthian believers to demonstrate good generosity that came as a result of a love for the Lord. And so what we have before us is a lesson in the right way to give, which serves as part of our overall worship to God. Now, for us as a church, we have generally a couple songs, um, then we pray for the offering, and we continue. And so the question is, well, that's just how we do it. You know, that's the way it's organized and and it's put together. Well, no, there's actually a reason for that. And we've talked about it with the worship team, and they understand it very well, that giving is part of the overall worship of the Lord. This, what we're doing right here, is also a part of worshiping the Lord, sitting at His feet and listening to His Word, opening ourselves up for Him to minister to us. It's all a part of it. We're worshiping him and giving him our undivided attention. And part of that is expressing our praise to him in obedience and giving to his work. So that's all part of it. And so again, this morning, what we have before us is this beautiful lesson, giving us an example of the right way to give. Biblically speaking, this is a great lesson. And so let's pray and let's get into our text. Father, We thank you, Lord, that we have before us, Lord, something that you do not neglect to address. Because it's very important, Lord, we know that uh, where where our heart is, you know, where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be also. And so, um, Father, we need to learn how to be true givers, genuine, Lord, in every way, generous. Lord, not just with our time and our, our talents, but also with our treasure. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we do not come to this lesson, to this text, Father, um, with with walls built up, Father. I pray that we would be open and receptive to your word, which is truth, which is reality. That, Lord, we would more closely resemble you, being true ambassadors of Jesus Christ and reflecting your glory to others. And so, Father, work in our hearts. Help us to understand and hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So four things this morning. Number one, we're going to see about preparing the gift. Number two, how to be a cheerful giver. Number three, God gives for you to give. And number four, God is glorified in your generosity. Let's first take a look at preparing the gift in verses one through five. Let's read together, beginning in verse one. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, for being so confident." So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers 
to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So prepare the gift. Now this ministry for the saints that Paul is referring to is the financial support for the saints who are in need in Jerusalem. That is the ministry that he's referring to. Now, quite frankly, I I read through some commentaries, and I know that we can all be sarcastic, right? In in, in some commentators uh, say, you know, Paul is being sarcastic here. I'm not sure, and I'm not convinced that it's sarcasm on the side of Paul. But he does say that it is probably necessary to write to them about this. Even though I've already talked to you about all of these things, because perhaps they are already prepared with a collection for the saints in Jerusalem, because they had stated their desire to do that a year earlier. We went, if you go back to chapter 8, verse 10, it covers it there. Hey, you, just, you stated your desire to do this, and we're getting ready to do this a year ago. So he's hoping, hey, <clears throat> well, he encouraged them in the last chapter, hey, do what you said you were going to do. So I'm not sure if it's sarcasm or sometimes it's the case of, hey, listen, as he um, very clearly articulated here, hey, listen, I, I've been boasting about you. Um, in fact, just your stated desire to give to the needs of the saints in Jerusalem has stirred up many in Macedonia to give. And so I, I don't want to come to you and find that you are not ready. And so I, I just want to make sure that you're ready. As you said, you were going to be ready. So be ready. Are you ready? He does, just in case he writes anyway, right? I truly believe that we need reminders. Sometimes we, you know, and I'm speaking from, from experience for myself, you know, that you know, sometimes when we get reminders, um, we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. But we need reminders to keep pushing us forward, to help us along the path, to do that which we have said we were going to do. It provides, actually, accountability. And that's sometimes hard to receive, quite frankly. Paul is telling them that he's on his way to Corinth to pick up this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. But he tells them, hey, uh, I'm going to send Titus and others before me to make sure that everything is collected, everything is brought together before I show up. So at the time, the gift is prepared. It's good. I'm, I'm not having to, to ask anymore. Number one, in verse two, as I've stated, Achaia's stated readiness stirred up the Macedonians. That's awesome. Hey, listen, when we say something, it's oftentimes a, a prompt for someone else. What we, what we say we are ready to do shouldn't be proven empty. And that's what Paul was telling them. What we say we're going to do can have a great impact on others around us. We don't realize that. But we should. 
It could have a strong impact in a positive way, but it can also serve as a negative impact if there's a lack of follow-through. Do that enough times, and, and, and your reputation will get there before you do. It's like people will, you know, when they hear your name, they'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he or she says this, but they don't really follow through with it. So I, I can't count on them. We can't count on them. So we need to realize that, you know, for, for the, the Apostle Paul was telling the Corinthians, hey, listen, just you're saying that you were going to give to the saints in Jerusalem, stirred up the Macedonians. So make sure that you prove me right here. I'm boasting about you. <clears throat> That's what he says in verses three and four. Prove yourself by being ready. Paul was sending again Titus and a few of the other brothers ahead of him, ahead of him to make sure that his boasting isn't proved empty. He isn't proved wrong. So they and Paul wouldn't be humiliated before the Macedonians because he was saying, hey, I'll be uh, humiliated, but you're going to be shamed if, if this is not so. And Paul was simply telling them to prove your genuine, genuineness by being ready with the collection. Just prove it. Prove that you're genuine here. And that should always be our prayer for each other. Hey, listen, what you say may not be empty. May it truly be genuine. May you be uh, uh, allow, allow yourself to be held accountable. Even though sometimes you, you don't like it to be reminded, hey, th- this, is, this is actually uh, what, what the standard is. This is what is expected. This is what you said. That's the songs that we sing. That's when, when, we, when we come close to the Lord and we, when we realize what His Word is and how it applies to our lives, we should submit, surrender completely to Him. Have, having nothing to do with our will other than agreeing with Him. So He says, prove yourself by being ready. And then in verse 5, He's saying, prepare to give without expecting anything in return. He says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and to arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, as a willing gift, not an exaction. Again, what Paul is saying here was not putting them under pressure to give. Paul was making sure that whatever they gave was out of a willing heart. And being prepared gives us that opportunity. For instance, Sunday mornings, and I'll address this. Um, For me and my family, we already have set what we're going to give. And we don't give because we feel compelled to, we feel pressured to, (laughs) It's truly, genuinely out of a grateful heart to the Lord, and we give to Him. That's who we're giving to. And we come. There's a check that's already made. It's to the Lord, and it's to the Lord. It's to no one else. It's already set. We predetermine that. And we can come and not feel like, oh, let's rush. Let's figure out what we're going to give. You know, well, um, we can give, you know, X amount of dollars, whatever. There's a whole different feeling. If we come prepared, if we come prepared for worship, we come with a whole different heart. 
And like I said before, that is part of it. That is part of it. So Paul was telling them, hey, come prepared. Come with a willing heart to give without expecting anything in return. No attachments. This is not payment for future services or even expecting the saints in Jerusalem to return the blessing at some point because that would be a loan. That would be a payment for services. Oh, now you owe us. You know, hey guys, there in Jerusalem, (laughs) you know, we helped you out. So we expect you to give something in return. No, no, no. The, The Lord expects us to give without expecting anything in return. Well, what could we give to the Lord? He gave everything. And what he, what he asks in return is our sins. That's what he's saying. Give me all your sins. Confess to me all your sins. I will take them and put them as far away from you as the east is from the west. I will forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I will, I will give you the right to be with me, not because you were so good, because, but because of the righteousness of my son, because he shed his blood on your behalf. He gave generously. And the only thing that he asks in return is a confession. And then we receive that gift. We have nothing to do with salvation other than just receiving the gift. I think that sometimes we can give with, um, with a mindset that we're giving, but it, it is with attachments. It's like we do expect something in return. Even when we're giving to the church, if I give X amount of dollars and I expect this much back from what I give, well, that would be an exaction, not a, a willing gift. I've learned that as individuals within the church, we are here to give to him who has given everything. If we come here with a consumer mentality, which we have, uh, unfortunately, we, are, we have that mindset. We have this consumer mentality. And if we come in that manner, then we will be disappointed at some point and take our quote-unquote business somewhere else to give financially and expect something else in return. Sometimes even with our presence, we have this mindset to this attitude to where we say, well, they should be so grateful that we're here. It's a kind of mentality. That's a wrong mentality. We are grateful that every single person is here. But it's for the sake of growing together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To bless Him, to honor Him. To be strengthened in sound doctrine, that we may walk together in unity, blessing him. Alan Redpath said this, quote, When God gives grace, he does not reluctantly open a little finger, (laughs) right? You have the picture. And maintain a clenched fist full of gifts. I would tell you today that God's hands are nail-pierced hands, and they are wide open. This fountain of grace is always pouring itself out with no limitations on heaven's side at all. Close quote. And that is true. He gives openly. So Paul was writing to the Corinthians to prepare the gift, to have it ready. Number two, be a cheerful giver. Verse verse 6 as we continue. The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. To him who is able to sow bountifully, the Lord is saying, sow bountifully. So who can sow bountifully? Does this mean large amounts of money? And the answer is no. It has nothing to do with the, the, the amount of money that you give. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the heart. That's what it is. Remember the, the widow with the two mites with a penny? That wasn't a large amount of money. But yet she serves as an example of a, of a genuine worshiper of the Lord with what she gave. Throw out that seed generously, though, with the right heart, and what you will reap is multiplied back to you. Paul is using this farming illustration as, as he gives this lesson to explain God's law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I tell my boys all the time, hey, listen, you can either reap the blessings of walking uprightly before the Lord or reap the consequences of walking otherwise. Either way, you're going to reap. We reap. We reap what we sow. You, you, can't, you can't sidestep that. You, you, can't, you can't go any other direction. That is the law of God. You reap what you sow. If a farmer went out to sow seed in a field, but because he wanted to keep some of the seed and not so much of the seed, then what he received in the harvest would be in direct proportion to what he sowed. It's like, you know what? I really need to keep some of the seed, and so I'm just going to put a few seeds in there. Well, what is he going to have in return at the harvest? Very little. But if he, he sowed openly in the field, then he would harvest in direct proportion to what he sowed. That's how it works. But Paul is telling the Corinthians that the giver must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. This gives further evidence to the fact that Paul is not pressuring them. He's not telling them this is what you need to do. He's saying, hey, listen, whatever you give, you need to decide in your own heart. And don't be reluctant. Don't feel like you're under compulsion. So number one, he encouraged to give generously. But secondly, don't give beyond what you have determined in your heart to give. Don't, don't give beyond that. Please don't. Why? Because then you'll give it begrudgingly. You'll have doubt. Maybe even resentment. The point that you give with reluctance is the point you've given too much. This means that you give with hesitation. You have second thoughts and even seems to be as if you are forced beyond your will. Under compulsion means that you give because you feel like you're forced to give. And if what you give 
is with hesitation, second thoughts, or even feel forced to give, then you're giving with the wrong heart. It is not as you have decided in your heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we're going to take a look at this a little deeper. Okay, because this is saying that God has great appreciation and a high regard for the person who gives hilaron. That's the Greek where we get our, root, our, our word hilarious. Hilarious. Now, we, we have this picture of a hilarious, right? To where we can't contain ourselves. We're just like we're rolling on the floor, kind of laughing and, and all that. No, no, no. That, that's, that's not what, what this means. The original Greek word for cheerful is what I said, hilaron, from which we get our word hilarious, but it is boisterously merry. It gives a picture of, and I think about more when I was younger and I had no reservations as I, I was around my friends, maybe on the playground, and we talked about certain things with joy in our hearts with just absolutely being boisterous, you know, just being loud and, and not obnoxious, but just not holding back this, uh, this merry heart. You know, Troy, I just saw Troy. Troy being on the field, playing baseball, we were boisterously merry. I played ball with him growing up. And so that's it, to where we just, we don't contain ourselves in that sense. We are just so overjoyed. That's what he's saying. Hey, listen, God holds in high regard and he has great appreciation for the person who gives in this manner. When you're overwhelmed with joy that you're carrying on with great happiness and contentment in the thing you are participating in, that is being boisterously merry. Like I, I give willingly, and I can't wait to kind of see maybe glimpses here and there of how it is that the Lord is doing a work here. It's like you're greatly anticipating great things happening. And I give, I give joyfully and willfully. What's happening is you're participating in the very work of the Lord. And for Him, <laughs> wow, He holds that in great with great appreciation, and has a high regard for that because it's given in faith. This is the kind of giver the Lord has great appreciation and high regard for. Why? Because the giver has the right heart. That's the bottom line. He understands that he can't ever outgive the giver and will reap bountifully as he sows bountifully. Again, is it necessarily... This return, this, this reaping, the harvest, is it necessarily material or financially? And the answer is no. If anyone tells you, hey, you give a certain amount of money and you're going to get a hundredfold back, don't believe them. There's a lot of them on TV. Okay? That's not what he's saying. It can be, but this isn't what is promised. But we do know that God is faithful to provide our needs. We do know that, right? Check out how the Philippians' generosity was described by Paul. Philippians 4, 15 through 19 says, 
And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul knew that very well. Hey, listen, you have more than supplied me. I have more than enough. God has been blessed and, and, and honored and glorified. And, and listen, I know that he's going to supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, Matthew nineteen twenty nine, and everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And Jesus was not speaking, not saying that, hey, for every dollar you give, you're going to get a hundred back. <laughs> he wasn't saying that. The point was a spiritual truth. Spiritually speaking, the earthly loss or losses for the sake of Jesus doesn't compare with the riches we inherit as joint heirs with Jesus Christ of God's riches eternally. It just does not compare. We must give believing that God is able to make all grace abound to you. You know, and and do we believe that? Is that how we're, we're giving to him? Is that how we're displaying our generosity? If we give with this heart, then in our contentment, in all things, at all times, we will abound in every good work. This is a spiritual equation, so to speak. Our belief that God is able and desires to give generously to you and has leads to you displaying a contentment in life always and in all things and won't be distracted from giving of yourself to serving the Lord. That's what it leads to. It's like, hey, listen, I, I know that the Lord is faithful. I know that he provides. I know that I, if I give with this heart, if I'm just generous in and of myself toward others, toward the Lord's work, then what it leads to is joining in and participating in the good works that the Lord has planned and has purposed in our lives. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so we know, I mean, uh, we know from experiencing going to funerals and memorials that no one has ever taken all their riches with them. Right? We've never seen that. You see a hearse with a U-Haul going behind them. They're just going to go park. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't go. And I said it a couple of weeks ago, the richest people are those who have given everything. Everything. I'm talking just not holding anything back. Not saying you have to give until, hey, you have absolutely nothing. You're, uh, 
you know, and you just whatever comes in goes out. No, you need to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to you, right? But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are generous with what God has entrusted to us. And as we possess godly contentment that drives away distraction from doing every good work, this is, this is what we need to understand. As we give of ourselves in various ways generously, we perpetuate, perpetuate glorious praise to the Lord. It's eternal in the heavens. That, that's where he um, pointed to the psalm in this manner. Hey, listen, what this does is it just gives praise eternally to the Lord. That's what it does. Let, let your light so shine before men, or let your good works so shine before men, people, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It, it just, it gives glory to the Lord. David Guzik said this, and I had said it on, on Friday, quote, God wants us to be channels of blessings and not reservoirs of blessing. You know, sometimes we're reservoirs. Like we receive, we receive, 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 receive. And we're full, but um, water that isn't moving ends up stinking. It does. We're, we're full of it, and we're not allowing the Lord to just use us as channels of blessings to, to other people. So prepare the gift. Be a cheerful giver. Thirdly, God gives for you to give. God gives for you to give. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's stop there. God gives for you to give. That's the purpose. Who is the supplier of everything? God. God is the supplier of everything. Therefore, whatever we give has to first be given to us. And the reason God gives to you is for the sowing, so that the return, the harvest would be plentiful, right? It has to do with righteousness, because when you give with the right heart, it blesses God and it blesses others. But he gives to us so that we, in turn, give as well. We are truly those channels by which God Blesses others. God gives to the giver for the express purpose of giving more. What happens when the giver gives? Well, we see it here, right? There's thanksgiving that comes back to God. It's, it's pretty cool. You give and then God gives, gets the, the thanks. We, we have grateful hearts. As hopefully we're, we're deflecting any praise, right? We help someone else out. And, and what we need to do is, yes, thank you for the word of encouragement, but at the same time, I'm going to deflect that. That's all praise and honor and glory to the Lord. That's all to him. So Paul was praying here for the generous to be enriched in every way because they steward what they've been given in a way that brings thanksgiving to the Lord. Matthew Poole said this, quote, No man ought to live to himself the two great ends of every Christian's life ought to be the glory of God and the good of others, especially such as belong to the household of faith. Close quote. And that's where Paul is leading to in the final portion of addressing the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Ultimately, what will happen is that God is glorified in your generosity. And that's the final portion. Verse 12. 
For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Everything that would be gained by their generous giving is outlined here at the very final portion. It's outlined right here. Number one, in a practical sense, there's a supplying of the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. Very, very practically, what, what you give financially is going to supply their needs. Secondly, thanksgiving to God would overflow. Lots of praise given to God. God is glorified. His name is magnified. Their giving would cause more people to praise God. So it would increase the worship of the Lord. It would bring everyone together in that sense, to be participants in the work that God has allowed to happen through this difficult situation. Thirdly, the Jerusalem brothers and sisters in Christ would glorify God for the the obedience of their brethren in Corinth. It would be an encouragement for them also to be obedient to the whole of the word of of God. It would be an encouragement. Oh, so you're obedient in this area in in covering the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And what that does is it nurtures and it encourages obedience overall to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just selecting certain areas of scripture to be obedient to. But it's an encouragement to pay attention to all of the Word of God. Now, this adversely says that if there is a lack of generosity, then there is a lack of obedience to God, and their confession of the gospel of Christ bears no power for other Christians and does not encourage them to fully embrace God's Word. If we pick and choose what we're going to obey and not obey, if we want to kind of twist things around and... and, like, okay, I understand that and I want to apply that to my life. But this over here, I kind of want to make it say what I want it to say for my benefit. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> you can't do that. And that serves actually as, a, you know, it negatively encourages others to do the same thing. But this would glorify God because of the obedience of the brethren in Corinth to take the whole gospel of the Lord and follow it out. Fourthly, their generosity would result in a genuine concern for their brethren and prompt them to pray for them. Wow, I mean, what grateful hearts do you have for someone who helps you out? And the saints in Jerusalem, oh, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for everyone coming together, the Macedonians, the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, uh, the Corinthians, you know, and just go on right down the list, we're, we're going to pray for all of them that God would bless them. Especially the Macedonians, they're kind of experiencing the same thing we're experiencing. Extreme poverty, like financial distress. We're going to pray for them just as I'm sure they're praying for us. Because when someone takes the time to care for your needs, you tend to return that with a heart of genuine concern for them. You never forget it. You never forget them. 
You just never do. And Paul ends with this fitting doxology of praise to God. It, It puts things in proper perspective as this issue of generosity comes to a close. It's addressed and then he closes it. He says in verse 15, Thanks be to God for this, for his inexpressible gift. It's a fitting conclusion to it all because it puts things in proper perspective. Let's cap it with the right the right perspective, with the right heart, with the right mindset. Yes, this is a lesson in giving. Number one, remember, prepare the gift. Number two, be a cheerful giver. Number three, God gives for you to give. Number four, God is glorified in your generosity. There is nothing greater that anyone could be thankful for than for the gift of Jesus and salvation known through him. Can we top that? There's nothing. It's like, thank you, God, for sending your son for me. Thank you that because of him, I have the ability to receive that gift of salvation and know you by your grace for all eternity. Nothing is greater. The greatest truth that we can ever preach is that of salvation in Christ Jesus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, If you preach Christ, you will never run short. If you have preached 10,000 sermons about Christ, you have not left the shore. You are not out in the deep sea yet. Dive, my brother, with splendor of thought. Plunge into the great mystery of free grace and dying love. And when you have dived the farthest, you will perceive that you are as far off the bottom as when you first touched the surface. Close quote. That is so true. Like, I'll keep swimming. I'll keep going. Because you cannot sound the depths of God's grace. Not this side of heaven. One day we will know him in his fullness. For now, we journey together. And we see and we realize just how much he loves us each and every day. When you realize the depth of God's generosity in Christ toward you, you too will be eternally thankful and it will reveal itself in a personal generosity. It is an overflow of the grace that you have come to know. Do you know that God is boisterously merry in his generosity toward you? It's just overflowing. And I encourage you to be yourself a cheerful giver as you have decided in your heart. Considering the generosity of God toward you in Christ Jesus and his eternal riches. We are joint heirs with Christ of all of God's riches with him. I pray this morning, if, if that heart of yours, perhaps it, it hasn't been right to the Lord, toward the Lord, that this morning be a day to where as, as God was speaking to you through his word, that again, you just simply surrender to him. Say, Lord, you know, my heart hasn't been where it should be. Lord, thank you for writing it according to your word. For, for bringing me upright. 
And then I pray that God gives you strength in walking that out. Remember how the Apostle Paul was telling the Corinthians, hey, what you uh, promised a year ago, make sure that you do. Follow through with that. God gives you the strength to do that. Be a a man or a woman of, of your word. Follow through. Allow yourself to be held accountable. We need reminders often. Walk according to the truth of God's word. He gives graciously, generously. We are to reflect that in our own lives. And I pray again, as, as you leave, make sure that you don't leave without knowing what it is to have a relationship with the Lord. Our sins separated us from the Lord. There's none righteous, no, not one. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the word tells us, because of what's already happened in our hearts. I believe that the moment that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we shall be saved. I believe that to be true. Why? Because that's happened in our hearts. And that genuine repentance will reveal itself in the fruit of the Spirit as we walk with the Lord. It's not just a prayer that we say, but it's a life that is on display for others to see a genuine repentance and relationship with the Lord. It it blesses the Lord. It blesses the Lord. And I pray that you too know that gift of salvation. Father, we come to you, the chief giver of all. You wish that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I pray for us that, Lord, as you minister to my heart, Lord, through this passage, I'm sure that you minister to many more people here. I pray, Lord, that we would respond to your word and that we would more closely resemble your character to those around us. That we would be that one person that would give joyfully unto you, generously, knowing that Our treasure lies in heaven. And with that, you are honored and glorified. And I do pray for anyone here who does not know you. I pray, Lord, that today be the day of salvation. That they simply cry out to you, confess their sins, and ask, Lord, that you would be their Lord and their Savior. And that from this day forward, that they would live to please you. And so, Lord, we thank you, Father, again, for your generosity and for displaying love toward us first in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.